Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I pray that you hear the invitation of God in today's message. Today, we launch a new series here that I'm very excited about. It's entitled The Crux of Community, The Values That Shape Us, and is an introduction to a set of values that, as leadership, we believe will give us a common language to use as we seek to take seriously the invitation to join in with what God is doing as we follow Jesus together. But before we get to this week's overview of these values, I just want to encourage you again to tune in to a new GBC podcast called The Big Three. It's a weekly podcast that engages with three big questions raised by our PM congregation about Sunday's sermon. Hosted by Matt Willis, this podcast dives deeper into the sermon and provides a midweek opportunity to return to it. The Big Three podcast is available from Wednesday afternoons, so make sure you check it out. But now to this week's message and an overview of the values that shape us as we follow Jesus. Tonight's reading is from John 20, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, for those of you who've been around for a while, you'll know that the passage that Bruce read is a passage that I have personally preached on and reflected on more than any other passage in Scripture over the last four to five years. Some of you might have been thinking to yourself, didn't we read this last week or didn't we read this the week before? I'm sure I've heard him talk about this already. Yes, you have. Uh, And the reason why this passage has become so important for us is because of the uh, commission that it it contains for those of us who follow Jesus. And for us here at Gamia, Baptist Church, this this passage has become our uh, focus. It's become a bit of a theme. Uh, Part of it is over our door as you leave. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Uh, And it's kind of become our way of expressing what we believe is the message all the way through Scripture. And that is that God is continually inviting His people to participate with Him. It was true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New. You read about it in the prophets and you read about it in the epistles. It's all over the place. But for us, this has kind of become our way of expressing it. And so I thought it was appropriate to kind of come back to it once again, just to remind you again about the significance of it, and then to kind of extrapolate a little bit out of that understanding of who we are called to be and what it means for us. So if you're unfamiliar with the passage, if you know, you, you know, you're unfamiliar with it, let me take you through it really, really briefly. It's the first night uh, after Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's the evening of the first day of the week, and, and many scholars would see that, that that reference to the first day of the week is really important, that it's not just kind of a marker, it's also kind of a reminder that Jesus is bringing in the new creation. And so this is kind of the first day of the new creation. Jesus appears to His disciples who are uh, together, the door is all locked, they're kind of afraid, they're afraid of the Jewish leaders, and rightly so. The Jewish leaders uh, had just executed their master, the one that they had been following, and I'm sure they wanted to tie up all the loose ends as quickly as they could. And Jesus appears in their midst, 
and says, peace be with you, which I think is a remarkable thing for Jesus to say to that group of people. Uh, these men and women who were no doubt, as we've already been told, afraid. Uh, they were probably uncertain about their future. They were probably uncertain about whether or not they just wasted the last three years of their life following Jesus, uncertain about what they believed, uh, experiencing all sorts of doubt and anxieties. And on top of all of that, the man who just appeared before them was the man that they just ran away from the last time they saw him. Right? The last time Jesus saw them, he saw their backs as they fled the scene to save their own hides. Peter is amongst this group of disciples, and he denied Jesus three times, actually four, because he denied that he would deny him. So there you go. It just makes it worse. Right? And so to this group of people, Jesus says, peace be with you. And then uh, he gives them this re- quite remarkable, this quite remarkable um, uh, commission He shows them his hands and and, and his side, the scars to indicate that, yes, this is the crucified one, but also because he's the one showing them, he's the risen one, and then gives them the commission that as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And you have to kind of read the whole Gospel of John to get a bit of a sense about what it is that Jesus has been sent to do. But let me just give you a handful of highlights that Jesus had been sent by the Father to bring eternal life to bring eternal water so that people would never thirst again, to feed them with bread from heaven so that they would never hunger again. He had not come to condemn or to judge, but to bring life and life to the full. That's why the Father sent Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, and we believe not just to those gathered in that upper room, but to everyone who begins to follow Jesus, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And he doesn't just send them on their own, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, the enabling presence of the Spirit of God, and and, and off you go. And this commission has enormous implications for us, doesn't it? Uh, That means that you and I, when we begin to follow Jesus, are sent as Jesus was sent. Whether we feel particularly well-equipped to do this or not, we are nonetheless sent to continue to do the same sorts of things that Jesus did. Uh, he finishes that section with kind of a bit of a, a bit of a weird statement that if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And, and I think theologically we would believe that forgiveness is ultimately the domain of God. But it seems that there's an invitation for us into the reconciling work of God. I mean, there was Jesus showing them the scars right? The penalty that he had paid for our forgiveness, for our salvation. And then he invites them to participate in the same kind of ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling people to God that their lives might be changed by him. This is the commission that's been given to us. And it's a fairly significant one. If you think about it, we have become ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And an ambassador in our day and age, of course, is someone who, has, uh, who serves one state or country by representing that state or country in another state or country. So if you are the Australian ambassador to Canada, you represent the Australian interests and priorities and values in Canada. And while you're in that other country, you are looking out for the citizens of Australia, and you are helping those who want to emigrate to Australia. How's that for a different view of evangelism, right? Helping people emigrate to the kingdom of heaven, whether they're refugees or whether they're people in good standing who just want a better future for themselves. Here we are, that's part of what we do. And wherever ambassadors are, they seek to the best of their ability to work with the country that they are living in to achieve the best for both. 
And when the time comes, when push comes to shove, they are always standing on the side of the country from which they've been sent. You and I have the same high privilege and high responsibility of being sent by Jesus. We represent the kingdom of God. And this has become kind of our language to talk about being sent, to talk about participating, to talk about joining in. It's kind of our way to talk about what we believe that Christians everywhere are called to. And if you've been in other churches, you'll know that lots of churches have mission statements and vision statements and purpose statements, all sorts of stuff. Like everyone's got one because you've just got to have one, don't you know? Uh, and, And if you kind of compare them all, they're all broadly the same, right? I mean, I don't think anyone was stunned when they found out that our vision was to see lives changed by Jesus. Like, I don't think anyone sat there and went that, thought to themselves, what? Lives changed by Je- a Christian church? What sort of a mission statement is, like, do you follow me on this one? The language might be very us, but the concepts that they're kind of built on are, are what you'll find everywhere. Even in the churches that don't have a printed mission statement, essentially, that's what they're on about. So this is kind of our language, and, and what, what I want to do tonight is kind of give you a broad introduction to these five little phrases, these five word pairs that we feel have been derived directly from this sense of purpose. Because ultimately what we believe is that we have been called to participate with God in His renewing work in Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is ultimately about discipleship. It's ultimately about following Jesus. It's ultimately about how we do that. And so let me, let me kind of extrapolate a little bit. What, kind, what are the characteristics of a follower of Jesus who takes seriously the fact that they have been sent by Jesus to continue His work? You follow me on this one? So let's take our local definition of following Jesus, participating in the work of God, sent by Jesus to continue that work. What are the characteristics of a group of people who have decided that that's seriously what they're called to. And I reckon there's a whole bunch. You could probably come up with a whole bunch, but here are five. Five that we feel are kind of our attempt at our language to describe the characteristics of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So let me begin with this. If you are a disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus, You've taken seriously the idea that God has invited you and will always invite you to participate with Him, then perhaps one of the first characteristics of your following of Jesus will be that you will be a little bit deliberate to make space to be able to hear Him and participate. Let me put it this way. If I could guarantee each of you this week, sometime in the next seven days, I can't say when, but I promise you, somewhere in the next seven days, you will have a legitimate, bona fide, burning bush experience. Something will burst into flames and the Lord will speak to you. If I could guarantee that, and you believe me, and you knew that sometime in the next seven days, God was going to meet you, you didn't know where, you didn't know when. How would it change your week? Surely you'd be on the lookout for it, wouldn't you? If it didn't happen tomorrow, you'd wake up Tuesday going, maybe it's today. I mean, surely you'd start to kind of say no to some things, just kind of in case God talks to me, like I've just got to be ready. Can I just give you a rain check on the movie? Can we just talk about that some other time? Because God, something might burst into flames. I've got to be ready. 
So often, I think, when we talk about following Jesus, we want to follow Jesus, shall we say, on paper. It sounds great in theory, doesn't it? Ah, being sent by Jesus to continue His work, fantastic, wonderful idea, love your work. And when, when God actually invites us into that space, we are perhaps ready, we're perhaps willing, but we're not always able because our lives are so full that we have no margin to say yes. We don't have any time, we don't have any energy, we don't have any emotional space, we don't have any social space. I mean, if, if God said to you this week, you know what, I'm going to bring someone else into your life who really, really needs to meet Jesus, do you have the social space to add another friend? Now, do you have any room? If we're going to take seriously the, the invitation to participate with God, then we need to be on purpose. We need to be those who are creating and maintaining some margin in our lives so that we can spend time listening to God, but also that we have time when God says, here's the invitation, we can say, yes, I have time to do that. I can participate with you. I have some space and margin in my life. It doesn't mean that we're just going to be sitting around not doing anything all day in case something bursts into flames, but simply that we might have a little bit of capacity in order that we might participate when God calls us to do so. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus who take seriously this call to join in with Him, then we're going to be people who are by definition big-hearted because we're going to want to see lives changed by Jesus. We're going to want to see evidence of His renewing and restoring work in the people around us, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces. And we're going to be big-hearted, not only so that we have enough time for people, but that so we can use all of our resources for the work of God. Big-heartedness is generosity in every single way. Not just generosity with our finances and our, and our physical resources, which is one way that God invites us to participate, but generous in our relationships. Generous in forgiving first. Generous in assuming that you weren't trying to hurt me with that comment, but in fact, it might have just been you were having a bad day. Wouldn't that kind of generosity go a long way in our friendships? It's generosity in every aspect of life. The generosity of God who sent His Son to rescue us. It's that generosity. It's that willingness to use all that we have for the purposes of God and His kingdom. If we're going to be those who take this definition of discipleship, of following Jesus as, as those who are sent and invited to participate in God, then we are going to be those who in every aspect and sphere of our lives will recognize that there's always more to learn. You know, I think two of the great inhibitors of discipleship, there's a whole bunch of them, but I think two of the great ones are comfort and comparison. And what comfort says to me is, yeah, I don't know everything. Yeah, there's more to do. But you know what? I've done enough. Or I've learned enough. Or I've seen enough. Or I've tried enough. Or it's close enough for government work. It's the, we're all good. And comparison is comparison with one another. See, as long as I've read a little bit more of the Bible than you, I can be comfortable. As long as I've prayed a little bit more than you, I can be comfortable with what I've achieved, but we are not following one another, are we? We're following Jesus. 
How long do you think it takes to learn to follow Jesus? You ever thought about that? Can you do it in a day? No, don't be silly, you say. You can't do it in a day. What about in a week or like a month? Or like if you did like an intensive period, like something like a camp or something, that would work, surely. And is there an audible book on this that we can just kind of listen to while we're driving and we kind of master it all? How long does it take to learn how to follow Jesus? It's got to take our whole life, doesn't it? It's Jesus. There's always more to learn. There's always more to experience. There's always more to understand. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and, uh, you know, I went through Sunday school. I knew, I, knew, I knew all the answers to all the questions, right? I knew it all. Seriously, what was there left to know in the Bible that I did not know at the ripe old age of 12? <laughs> Guess what? And there's, there's a little bit more to learn. I'm still learning. And imagine then if we want to be people who in every aspect and area of our lives are committed to growing and learning. So if we're going to be on purpose and big-hearted, I think we're also going to be whole life learners, that in our whole lives and for our whole lives, we will always be committed to humility and curiosity. The humility that says, you know what, I don't know how to do that very well. The humility that admits that maybe I don't know as much as I probably should after having followed Jesus as long as I have. A humility that's willing then to learn from anyone. You know, we talk a bit about intergenerational relationships and how we'd like to kind of get our generations to mix a little bit more. That's going to require some humility so that you can teach people older than you or learn from people younger than you because we're always, always growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. I think if we're going to be disciples who follow Jesus and are taking this seriously, this invitation to participate with Him, then we're also going to be a group of people who are others-focused. That we'll be a group of people whose concern is what God is doing in the lives of those around us, and we will take a posture of selfless love and service. Uh, and, and then a posture is that unconscious, unthinking, default way that you stand or sit, right? You know, when you're sitting at your desk and you're, right, that's your posture, you don't even think about it. You just sit that way. You don't think about how you stand. You just do it. A stance is a purposeful, deliberate decision to take a particular stance, right? You know, like the karate stance or something. It's a deliberate one. That's not my posture. My posture is kind of slouched, right? That's the way it goes. We want to become a community of faith who are unthinking in our love and service of those around us, who don't have to take a posture of love and kind of go, right, I'm loving people now, but for whom it just becomes this unconscious, unthought about default, where we are those who, just like Jesus, shows love and care to those around us. And if we're going to be committed to participating with what God is doing, then we are also going to be a community of faith who are trustworthy. We're going to be a community of faith that is safe for people. Safe not only in all the legislative ways, although that's very, very important for us, but safe for people who don't know if they believe Jesus to ask their questions. Safe for people who have been following Jesus for a while, but are going through some really rough doubts to actually ask and voice those doubts. But we want to be a group of people who are not particularly anxious about the outcomes of everything that we do. 
Because ultimately, this is not our idea. These aren't our wonderful plans to change the world. It's not as if the church got together and thought, you know, we could do a lot of good in the world if we could just get God on board. Let's pitch it to Him. Let's pitch it to Him. I think He'd like this idea of kind of changing lives. That's not how this works. This is God's idea to change the world, to renew the world, to make it new again, and He invites us to participate. And here's the beautiful thing. It means that if it goes pear-shaped, it's not our problem. You ever work in a situation? It's nice to be part of a project where you're not the boss. You ever been in those situations? You just get to show up and you do the best you can, but ultimately if this goes down the gurgler, not your problem. That's our situation as followers of Jesus. This is God's idea. It's God's plan. We are called to do the best that we can. We're called to use the resources that He has given to us. We're called to follow after Jesus to the best that we can, and God will do what He will do, which allows us to be non-anxious because the outcomes of the kingdom are not ours to nail. They're His. And so these five little phrases, on purpose big-hearted, others-focused, whole-life learners, and trustworthy are all derived out of our belief that we're called to be followers of Jesus. But they're our language on them. It's our language around them more than anything else. I don't think anything that I've said, I don't think, is particularly radical. I don't think anyone's sitting here thinking, oh, following Jesus and being generous? Where did he come up with that? I don't think anyone's thinking that we should, you know, why, why would we bother being safe? Or why would we, like... I think it all makes sense, but it's our language. And this is actually why I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this series as a whole, because I think it has a tremendous um, potential to develop our sense of community, what draws us together and what holds us together. I think it has a tremendous potential to do something that we've often found quite difficult to do. Because as, as Mark and Esther pointed out at the beginning, you know, our values drive behavior. If, if I want to know what you value or what your school values or what your work values, I just need to hang around and watch you long enough and I will be able to figure it out. Because your values, the things that are important to you are the things that drive your behavior. And when you get a whole group of people who have all decided that they value the same things and they begin to act the same way, that provides a really deep sense of community. Because all of a sudden, we're not just disparate people who have shown up and all kind of sat together and kind of went, this is awkward. Instead, we are all people who have decided that we are going to be following Jesus and we're going to be following Jesus as part of this community of faith. And what this allows us is it gives us some language. It allows us to celebrate and to encourage the sorts of behaviors that these little phrases capture. It allows us to say to one another, that is a great on-purpose decision you've made. You've created margin in your life. That's amazing. Well done. Let's pray that God really moves in that space. Let's pray that God really opens something up in that margin so you're doing something for the kingdom, that He really takes advantage of that. To be able to celebrate and say to one another, that was a big-hearted decision. That was a big-hearted response. That, that conversation could have gone sideways in so many ways, but you responded with a big heart. You were generous in that relationship. Well done. It allows us to encourage one another to always be learning and growing, 
to encourage one another and say, hey, thanks so much for sharing that you don't, you don't know much about prayer. That was really encouraging to me because I thought everyone knew how to pray. Like, I thought everyone had it nailed down. It was so nice to hear that you don't find it easy either. Can maybe we should learn together. Wouldn't that be great? And all of a sudden, there's some language that shapes who we are and what we're on about, how we're going to do things together. And ultimately, these values, uh, these behaviors that they describe are kind of our language for discipleship. And, and, And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what I really want is that this is a community of faith that follows Jesus. That, that's the big goal here. It's not that everyone uses the language that we've come up with, even though we've worked real hard at it and we'd really appreciate it. It's ultimately, I, I don't want people following GBC. I certainly don't want people following me. I, I want us to be following Jesus. But if we have some common language some ways that we can describe what it is that we're doing. I actually think that would be really helpful for us. Helpful for us as as, as staff and as teams and as congregations uh, to focus our attention a little bit more on what it means to follow Jesus, what it means for us to be followers of Jesus who take up that invitation. And here's what I really love about these values. I love the fact that they work on a Sunday. In other words, they work in church, right? In church, there's lots of ways to serve and be involved and be big-hearted and on purpose and all that kind of stuff. To some degree, coming to church at all is being on purpose, isn't it? Because you are creating space in your life, an hour and 15 minutes, where God might speak to you. You could be home binge-watching something, but you've chosen to create some margin in your life, and here it is. So these values work in church, but when Jesus sent his disciples and when he sends us, he didn't send us to church. He sent us into our families, in our schools, our universities, our clubs, our workplaces, to the, the school gate, to the dance classes, to the soccer clubs, and the netball courts. He sends us in those places. We've talked before about, you know, maybe we need to see church on Sundays as halftime. I still think we should hand out oranges. I think it'd be a really powerful metaphor, right? You come in the door, you have to have an orange, kind of rehydrate, and we all walk around with the big you know, tea things, right? A reminder, this is, not, this is not the main game. The main game is not to come to church. The main game is for us to be sent into the world. And so wherever you find yourself, you know, as we talked last week, wherever we find ourselves, God is there. And he's inviting you to be on purpose. He's inviting you to be big-hearted and a whole life learner, someone who's focused on those around you and trustworthy. He's inviting you into those spaces. And so over the course of these next five weeks, we want to be exploring each of these, th- these values in a little bit more detail, expand out what they might look like, talk a little bit more about their grounding for us. Uh, The reason why we've called this the crux of community is not only because these values express the community that we might become, but they're also representative of following Jesus and the cross itself. It's kind of that double meaning piece again. But we'll be exploring these over the next five weeks. Uh, And in the midst of all of that, I think there are two questions that I want to continually come back to. Now, there'll be things to do and to try and to put into practice over the weeks to come. But ultimately, I think there are two big questions to answer. And the first is, are you committed to following Jesus? Are you committed to following Jesus? That's the big one. 
And if you're here and you're just trying to explore Jesus and you're trying to figure it out and, and all that, great. Ask your questions here. We want to be a safe place for you to explore that stuff. But if you've decided to follow Jesus, do you really, do you really want to follow him? Because that's going to be a question we're going to come back to again and again and again. And then secondly, and less importantly, are you committed to following Jesus here? It's part of our community of faith. Not because it's the only community of faith, nor that it's the best community of faith, but simply because you are here and so is God. Those two questions. Can I ask you to be praying about that? How serious are you about following Jesus? How serious are you about being a follower of Jesus here? Because ultimately, I think if we answer those questions with a yes and a yes, they make a big difference to our experience of following Jesus together. So let me take a moment to pray, uh, and uh, Mark and Esther are going to come up and lead you through the next part of the service. Would you join me as we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that um, even though we are probably not the best partners in the gospel, you nonetheless invite us to uh, participate with you. It's such an incredible privilege and such a high responsibility and one that we are pretty certain is beyond us. And so we thank you that you've given to us the gift of your Holy Spirit to enable us and that you continue to invite us to join in with what you're doing. And I pray that as a community of faith that we might... um, And we might think really seriously about uh, who we're following and how committed we are to that and then how committed we are to doing that here in this community of faith for this season of our lives together. We pray that you'd shape us as followers of Jesus, that you'd shape us uh, as a community of faith, that we might be ever more faithful to what you've called us to, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Regardless of whether you consider yourself part of the GBC community of faith, these questions are important ones to ask. Are you still committed to following Jesus? And are you committed to doing so as part of a particular community of faith? Let these questions shape your prayers this week. And is God inviting you to share this with someone you know? Why not take courage and share it and see what God does through that act of faith? And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook or visit us at guymeabaptist.org.au. God bless.